0: So, first of all, thank you very much for your time. Very exciting. I really look forward to the conversation, right? So, uh, Paul already told me that you guys had a chat. And uh, today, basically, I just want to explore your journey as a data analytics professional. You know, what brought you to where you are now? What are you doing at the moment? And you know that our angle really on the data and in this whole data industry, and I'm trying to say this without leading the witness too much, right? Is that there's a huge gap in people's skills right people don't really yes. put enough emphasis on the actual transformation how to tell stories how to engage key stakeholders how to persuade and influence basically and focus too much on the technical stuff and the solutions themselves which we agree that it's it's an integral part of the whole Uh, um, of the whole industry and the profession, uh, but we like that angle of, okay, let's focus on how you become a powerful leader, how you become an influencer, how you become a good communicator. And then from that, everything else will flow and unfold, right? So um, we're going to dig in, probably we're going to spend, I don't know, like, 30, 40 minutes on the conversation. If we run over, that's fine as well. That's uh, no problem. I just want to make sure to cover everything. So uh, before we jump in, do you have any, any questions for me?
1: Oh, happy with the approach. Uh comfortable to, for you to take it away.
0: Yep. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So Vukosi, very happy to have you with us. Uh First of all, would you mind um, just giving a short introduction into uh, who you are, what you do at the moment, and really what what brought you to where you are now? A little bit of an insight into your journey as a data analytics professional.
1: Thanks, uh, Lazgari. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm Fokosi Sambo. Um, I'm currently the uh, head of data uh, for MedScheme, which is part of the Afrocentric group. We are a health risk management uh, organization, uh, primarily focusing uh, mostly on uh, medical aid administration in the South African uh, healthcare space, but we also offer a lot of other healthcare solutions uh, uh, from a vertical integration perspective. We are one of the largest uh, providers uh, of uh, uh, private healthcare administration and risk management solutions in the country. Uh, By size we actually occupy more than a third of the market, Uh, so we touch almost 4 million lives uh, with our services and products uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, so I've been with the organization for uh, about a year now. Prior to that, I had been a Chief Data Officer in a medium-sized healthcare organization uh, before, and I've also worked for uh, the other large uh, healthcare organization previously in the past, including uh, as well, uh, Nelson from an FMCG uh, and analytics perspective. So all my life, uh, for uh, just over 12 years, I've been in data in various forms as it evolved to Predominantly what it is now, which is uh, mainly the data science kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, dominance, but uh, starting uh, from the BI kind of uh, traditional role uh, back in the days, uh, where it was really just the basic reporting, the data warehousing and all those functions. And uh, I've really grown to really enjoy um, the data science as a profession and uh, uh, come to really love, fall in love with the whole big data analytics, the the tech, the cloud, and all the elements that really support um, uh, the the big data world that we are now operating in. And mm-hmm. it's been quite an exciting journey for me. I wouldn't imagine myself doing anything other than data, to be quite honest. I think I've just always had love for numbers, even in my schooling anyway. So
0: mm-hmm. i really
1: excited and very passionate about what I do.
0: Fantastic. And what did you fall in love with? So what what do you really like about this job and this profession and, and the industry? What excites you the most?
1: I, I think uh, for me, you know, usually when people talk about data, we, 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 we tend to think of data as this uh, cold kind of profession, numbers uh, inhumane in a way mm-hmm. but i i i don't think uh, uh, it's actually true because i think it's more about how we we use the data and how we use it to tell the stories and i suppose that's what why you may be passionate about what you do on on your end mm-hmm. and i think in the in the area of field that i mean which is health care i think you know being able to use the data to better understand uh, uh, patient wellness and, uh, uh, and how do you guide people back into a path of uh, uh, health and wellness in general through uh, analytics uh, supported by technology. Obviously, it's a very, very uh, pleasing core mm-hmm. purpose to wake up, to go and enable on a daily basis for millions of lives um and and beyond that at a bigger scale you know um in south africa we are one of the countries uh, i suppose is a developing nation that still uh, is dealing with the challenge of having to expand access to care mm-hmm. to as many people as possible so being able to uh, use data to understand uh, what is it that we could do to um Uh, make our products and services as affordable as possible so that uh, the access to care is uh, enabled for the millions of the South Africans and the burden on the state to really provide quality care is uh, reduced because of our pressures in terms of the uh, fiscal from our point of view. So anything that we can do to get an extra life in Uh, covered is really uh, uh, so meaningful and you know uh, as much as we're dealing with such a scale in terms of the number of uh, customers and lives that we touch uh, actually it is very individual you know healthcare is one of those very uh, Mm -hmm. emotional kind of uh, uh, purchases and what you've seen even during COVID is that people have tried to hold on to their cover because it's just such an important Mm -hmm. uh, product for, for, for any person to really have and own especially during this time.
0: Mm, fantastic. And during your time in data and analytics, so, so you spent altogether how many years in, the, in, in that field of your career?
1: Uh so I mean it it's, I've always been in data for all my 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 years but I think healthcare specifically um in between the three organizations that I've worked in totals uh, to almost 10 years in healthcare specifically okay. so yeah is yeah. in my DNA <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and yeah uh, this is what I live uh, breathe and eat uh
0: yeah. Day. Ten, yeah 10 years is a is a long time in the 21st century and especially in data Right. That's like a whole eon. Okay. So, (laughs) so so during that time, so during your time, both in uh, healthcare but also in data in general, what kind of changes have you seen in the industry? Like, um, uh, what did you notice as trends? And then we can maybe talk a little bit about uh, in a follow-up question about where you think the industry is going. But what kind of changes have you seen in how people approach data-drivenness, data-centric culture, working with data? Right? What, what kind of narrative arc do you see unfolding in the space?
1: So I I think uh, one of the key trends, obviously, is the uh, uh, machine learning AI kind of wave that I think everyone is jumping onto to really try to get better at being predictive and uh, prescriptive analytics. And obviously, uh, uh, the computing power and the technology support that allows you to really uh, productionalize and operationalize Mm -hmm. that that, uh, and scale that uh, for for the organization, especially if you are a huge organization. So I think that's obviously of the big trends and obviously that has brought up uh, the argument around cloud computing and uh, uh, and so forth but i think uh, um, uh, on a more personal level for me uh, and why i'm also passionate about data storytelling is that i think we are starting to see a shift from the traditional a BI kind of way of uh, getting uh, reporting and insight out to 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 users within the organisation and even external stakeholders that you may have uh, as part of your um, your responsibilities as a, as a, uh, in the data portfolio uh, and and we're starting to see uh, people do more to try and understand how do we. And make the data more meaningful and more relatable to uh, our audience, and I think for me it really uh, actually uh, start uh, with moving in reverse. I think traditionally in in the past we have always uh, uh, moved from where you try to understand uh, your data sources, how you obviously inject this into your storage with data warehouse and so forth, and now you organize that, and now you process that, and now you start checking out uh, uh, in your dashboards based on uh, predefined KPA and metrics and all that kind of stuff. And I think uh, we are seeing less and less of that and people are starting to even actually, uh, in, our, in our case, starting to try move in reverse, right? To say, um, if Laszlo is uh, my, my, my stakeholder that I'm trying to enable within the organization, what, what what are the key business questions, what are the things mm-hmm. that is, uh, the pain points that is currently facing me or the pressures that I can alleviate uh, with him and to really go sit down with you, have a simple business uh, friendly uh, uh, a conversation without any data jargon. Uh, mm-hmm. to understand your needs and how I can uh, bring or enable you through uh, insights or data to help answer your questions. And then start uh, having a conversation to say, Laszlo, if I showed you this and this and started training this, would it help you make better decisions? Would it help you have a better handling at your at your business unit or at your your sphere of influence in trying to drive growth or uh, mm-hmm. drive down cost or whatever your imperative may be as a business leader. And you say yes, and then you build from there to say what kind of insightful story, uh, telling uh, and even visualization do I need to then enable Laszlo with, to be able to understand and actually take action because I think uh, these things are only as good as they get used, right? It's like it doesn't mm-hmm. have a the best uh, even smartphone if no one is going to buy it you cannot even claim that it's really that good after all if no one is using it so Hmm. i think for me that's one of the key fundamentals and then you start moving backwards to say what data then do i need to be able to answer those those questions and how do i need to uh, uh, process secure and you know uh, store this data uh, so, so you're kind of like moving backwards, but actually none of those fundamentals have changed. It's just how we approach it and how we engage mm-hmm. with the end user that is starting to shift. And I think that's a very good uh, trend that we're picking up on our side. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's helping drive a bit of a better data culture is getting people more interested in, uh, in data. Uh, mm-hmm and it's one of the struggles that i think most organizations have faced for the longest time in, time, in terms of getting the rest of the business excited about data i mean there are very few people who get excited about data right exactly
0: <laughs> it's, it's kind, of, kind of like this uh, you know in, in people's mind even, even when it's being inflated through the buzz and the trends right data by its very nature it's it's what we call in the communications business called cognition stuff right so it's <laughs> it's it, it, it's more about numbers and statistics and technology which is great right but we're we are human beings so what we resonate with fundamentally are relationships right human potential action outcomes right this is what actually uh, engages your heart cognition which makes you emotionally invested in something which makes you excited you know what you said because uh, a machine and a technology can be all kinds of things it can be very accurate you know, it can have, you know, huge computing power, all that kind of stuff, but it cannot be really excited, right? So you need the human yes. to bring it to life, right? To to actually give it emotions. So I, I, I'm usually tempted to even venture into the philosophical depths of this, but maybe in another <laughs> conversation, <laughs> right? But it's okay. so good what you mentioned, because that's where really the rubber meets the road of, okay, how do I get people excited? How do I instill that data-centric culture? How do I make sure that the organization is truly being data-driven? Now, I'm Intentionally throwing out jargon right now, by the way. So data-centric culture, even being a data-driven organization, uh, it's something that uh, that just tends to be kind of robotically uh, regurgitated, even in uh, big events and conferences. Right? Even the big solution providers of the world—they just throw that at you, right? And it kind of loses its meaning. So I would like to scratch or or actually like go um, just beyond or like under the surface a little bit. So. What does it mean for you to be a data-driven organization? What do you think data-driven culture is? Because it sometimes becomes this mirage that you data leaders just uh, you know uh, keep chasing. But I think it's good to just focus on like what it is actually. Like lock down on the prize exactly. What is what is a data-driven organization in your view?
1: Yeah, I think for me, uh, uh, in simplicity, it goes back to the, the to the uh, issue of culture. So you mentioned the word culture, and I mean we all know the the, the famous saying of culture: it's strategy for breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that the the whole idea is to say you can have all this uh, good strategy and uh, uh, good plans, but if you don't really get the people. Uh, Behind it and behaving in a certain way and and do it consistently because I think uh, culture is really uh, for me a function of uh, uh, habits and habits you build them over time through consistent actions. So how do you then get people to um, engage with your uh, with your data solutions or, or products in the organisation in a consistent and meaningful way? and in a way that uh, obviously uh, is uh, exciting uh, for them. So, there's, so there are a few things that we, we try to do uh, obviously on our side and I think mm-hmm. uh, 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 firstly so obviously trying to uh, bring in the, uh, the 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 power of storytelling. We all like stories we all grew up sitting around the fire and we had mm-hmm. our grandparents our parents tell us a nice uh, little good story and now we create those and also even use analogies to, to, to get that across uh, it's quite uh, impactful uh, secondly um, uh, uh, two thirds of, uh, of, of people are visual learners. so I think that's what uh, as well we should be leveraging that we tend to be fairly good but we don't even communicate it as well uh, which is the visualization power and that's why uh, products such as your visualization uh, and BI tools such as your Power BI Tableau or whatever the tool you may be using in your mm-hmm. organization have, become, have always been uh, so impactful because people can easily uh, they say picture tells uh, a, a, a thousand stories, right? So mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, that that obviously lends uh, the, the third one that I really want to touch on, and I think sometimes you, you do need a, a hybrid approach, is to say show people relevant stuff. I think uh, we, we are now living in a world where this too much data and also too little insight unfortunately mm-hmm. because I think we are also all excited about the whole buzz of big data and we all just mm-hmm. want to collect data but we haven't even uh, figured out what we want to do with it and how mm-hmm. we want to enable and move our organizations uh, forward so I think um, having a very good uh, uh, measurement framework uh, that kind of like rules also create boundaries uh, for how you use your data is quite useful. But you do need to do that with caution uh, anyway so that you are not caught within your boundaries. You, you do need to create a, a room for data to, to also uh, guide you uh, mm-hmm. So this is what in machine learning we can refer to as supervised learning so that you're able to identify any potential new revenue streams that your current uh, business models may not capture. So mm-hmm. I, I, com- I, I completely understand that. But what you quickly find is that um, when all is said and done, everyone wants to win. That's no. Hmm, people want to win everyone loves winning and i think uh, when you start making data also meaningful uh, in a way that speaks to people's performance and people just doing well and doing better than they did yesterday you 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 do get a lot of buy-in one Hmm. of the mistakes that most data professionals makes is that sometimes you want to get out these insights or these reports or these dashboards in a way that says let's go this is how you're doing Whereas the message should be, Laszlo, how can I help you do better? Uh, Mm -hmm. How about this? So people don't end up feeling like you're you're, you're exposing their nakedness and their shortcomings, but Mm -hmm. it's more to say, this person wants to take me from where I am to the next level. So Mm -hmm. they engage with you as someone who's there to enable them to be better, to win, and uh, you just get uh, uh, quite a significant buy-in compared to someone who just sits in the corner somewhere and no stakeholder engagement and all they're doing is like checking all these reports or dashboards or whatsoever mm-hmm. and showing Laszlo how bad it is and you are laughing your way to to, say, uh, to, <laughs> to wherever uh, by mm-hmm. exposing and showing people how bad they are. And that doesn't help anyone because mm-hmm. uh, when... When you think of it as all for one and one for all, if you are invested in those people doing better and improving, then you will go there and engage them from a point of view of wanting to improve Mm -hmm. their performance and improve their chances of winning. And if they Mm -hmm. win, you also win. And then there's a mutually beneficial relationship. So I think that goes a long way into getting the buy-in, but do making sure that you do tie into... Uh, the metrics and the things that uh, 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 demonstrate uh, uh, people's uh, uh, performance, so the KPA. so I don't think we can mm-hmm. easily run away from that, but it's how we position it with our uh, our stakeholders and our customers internally and externally.
0: Mm, No, Very good. And oh, there's so much to talk about, actually, took a bunch of notes here. So let me just uh, ask you a very, very easy for you. It will be the easiest question in the world. Right. But I'm a first principle guy. So I always like to start from the from the basics. You know, I'm on a crusade against the fluff and hype and the jargon. So how would you articulate the difference between uh, data and insight? I know that probably every person who will listen to this conversation already knows the answer. But from your view, what is the difference between data and insight? How would you articulate that?
1: So I I look at insight as the outcome of uh, what you do with our data. And we've got Mm -hmm. this uh, simple um, uh, process, and actually we we have... uh, we call it. We call this uh, part of our our, our our ten commandments in the in the organization. Say mm-hmm. whatever you produce. I think uh, whenever you you share it with the with the user mm-hmm. or the customer, the first and most important thing they need to know what they are looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And the second thing they need to know whether it's good or bad. Be it mm-hmm. you have done benchmarking or ranking or it's against a specific target that has been set or whatever, but it needs to. Uh, literally uh, uh, show 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 you that this is what I'm looking at and this is bad and you need mm-hmm. to know whether it's getting better or worse and that's why we that, that that's the primary reason why we show a trended graphs so, or trend lines right and mm-hmm. you need to know why and mm-hmm. then after the the, uh, the, the fourth step the the the, the 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 fifth step is to say uh, uh, what can I do about it. And when because uh, an insight Mm -hmm. is only as good as as it is a call to an action Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so one is to go do what and by when and when they go do that you need to be able to then close that loop and measure if that action has had an impact and that for us is roi and it's so meaningful to us because uh, it ties into making sure that uh, we are taking uh, this concept of data being an asset to its logical conclusion so it needs to Mm -hmm. we need to derive a measurable benefit from the use of data and how data is being used. So for every solution that we do get out there, we always put it against these six simple uh, uh, steps. What am I Mm -hmm. looking at? Is it good or bad? Is it getting better or worse? Why? What can I do about it and by when? And can I measure the impact of that intervention uh, over time to see if uh, Mm -hmm. I I am uh, uh, changing the trajectory of uh, of, of of my metric to where i want it to be because of the interventions of what i got as an insight from data but the fundamental thing is it needs to be a call to an action so mm-hmm. what so what mm. what what must i do by when and what will be the the, the impact of that you know so mm-hmm. I, I think for me if you don't answer those questions i think we, we need to question whether uh, you are producing insight but obviously then that uh, you use data to be able to do that. So that would be for me the the difference. So the data is just really the, this raw material that you Mm -hmm. have to turn into
0: something usable. You know? Mm. Gotcha. So it's really interesting because one thing that emerged over the like three years since Paul and I have been doing this kind of unique uh, investigative journalism into the realities of the data world, right? Was this phrase that just kind of emerged you know, here and there people uh, dropped it or just kind of came together is human-centric data leadership, right? It's a really interesting phrase in and of itself because if we try to lock down and also what you just said, right? Basically the difference between data is a raw material and, and the raw material is something that's just material. As you said, it's just materialistic. It's, it's, it's something that's a, that's a thing, right? But insight is that raw material infused with meaning. Right again. Yes. I'm not, not going to go all like Aristotle on you. Don't worry. But we're not going to get into Aristotelian ethics or whatever. But, but if you want to, if you want to look at it that way, inside is data infused with meaning. And then what is meaning? What is meaning? Well, well meaning will be always connected to human action. Right? That's what, yes. that's, that's what it is. So it's meaningful because people find meaning in it. People can make sense of it. Right. And then people, when they make sense of something, it does change how they see the world. It does change how they see the world. And when they, when their view of the world changes in general, their behavior will change. So actually yes. what you're looking for, what you're looking for at the end of the day is a data leader. And we just like to like spell this out all the time because we're not in your seat, right? Where well, I'm not leading a data-centric uh, uh, transformation in any company. And I know what it does to, you know, just just work with the data and the systems all the time. But if you get back to these first, first principles, you will see that at the end of the day, I want to change people's behavior, right? Yes. If I don't change people's behavior, first of all, why is the company paying me? Right. And if if I don't manage to change people's behavior uh, for the better, then my work does not have any impact. Right. So that's what you're focusing on. And then, OK, but how do I change people's behavior? What is like, how do you do that? You know, and then we have a whole like tradition in in human history about what it means to change people's behavior. What is communication in general? And then this is how we kind of circle back to storytelling as well. But what you said about all these things. Right. Um, Outcomes. How to make sure that there's an ROI, a return on investment. What is that return on investment? How do you, like? What does it mean that now you have good ROI? All that is measured in people changing what they do, and ideally for the better, right? So this whole idea of human centric data, when you when you take that view and you occupy that perspective, you adopt that perspective, it actually helps you to build a strategy now that will actually change people's behavior. Because what you said about okay. Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, 100%, right? Because why you need to change the culture is because culture is the manifestation of people's common beliefs, right? Yes. It, it's yes. downstream from people's review, downstream from the philosophy that they are adopting. Now, with that in mind, you can have a strategy then to change people's behavior, to, to change the cultures. Actually, this is not how people focus on data strategy. is <laughs> really important, right? That the data yeah. strategy is super important, super important. But it needs to be human centric. It need to it needs to correspond to the human realities exactly. within an organization, right? Even an organization. Even if you think about a company, uh, the company etymologically means just a collective of individuals, right? A collective of human beings. So even yes. that just points to the reality that we're talking well, about. To- even- Yeah, yeah, human beings. So now you have a data strategy that corresponds to the human realities. Now you can build a strategy to change the culture, which is just basically a strategy of how do you build these healthy relationships in the company in a way that informs, educates, influences what they do on a daily basis, right? So anyways, uh, with this one, I want to kind of dig into just a little bit, as long as we have some time, is uh, how do you see this? How do you see, like, what is your strategy to uh, build relationships and actually empathize with people, your target audience? Because that's what we're talking about, right? You said that I need to focus on the individual. I need to focus on the person. You even mentioned that, uh, uh, one, four, uh, or what did you say about the the, the, the all, muscle? All, all four, one and one four, yes. that, that, That's it, that's it, that's it. It's really good because ultimately this captures the idea of focusing on the individual. So not only that we need to focus on the human element, because meaning is intrinsically tied to the human aspect, but also that the best way to do this, to access. So if I want to access the organization, if if I want big change, now, what do I do? It's like a counterintuitive, almost like, you know, like, like, like a sand lesson. In order to influence the whole, you focus on the individual, the individual person. A relationship is between individuals. So that the, the, yeah, the fundamental, if, if de- data, if, if the, if the con- uh, constitutional elements of data itself are numbers, right? Then the same thing for, for an organization and culture will be the individual, So you focus on the individual. So how do you focus on the individual? Uh, uh, What do you think is the best way to get through to an individual? What is your uh, approach to building relationships, right? And then influencing those people. Can you just share a few thoughts around this? Yeah.
1: So, so, so thanks for that. I mean, uh, um, I think the first one for me would be, you need to get people to buy into the why and also the why in a, in an in the individualistic way right i think uh Uh, uh, it's always easy to to, to get a buy-in when people clearly understand what's in it for me and I think as much as you try to build a sense of community uh, uh, amongst people, I think uh, for most part, people are always going to bring it back to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and I think that's why actually if we use uh, things like machine learning, uh, quite right, um, we're able to uh, move a few steps uh, forward in that regard, in a sense that I think uh, we can come from a history where we and build most of our analytics uh, around uh, averages and the law of averages, mm-hmm. central tendency. That's basically the basics of what we used to do before we had the computing power to really drill deeper and uh, uh, customize and individualize. And that's all. those are the, the, the benefits of the world that now we live in, the highly digital world where we are able to use the power of computing and big data to give you a personalized, customized experience. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a beautiful Thing because that uh, allows you to capture that individual uh, 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 experience and be able to customize uh, my experience with what you're doing for me uh, uh, to me and mm-hmm. uh, also without necessarily losing uh, uh, the bigger picture and the fact that you' you we are all uh, pieces of the puzzle right so mm-hmm. I think uh, the why and also uh, the Emphasizing that uh, personal benefit and the fact that now we are living in a world where we are able to understand you at an individual level and not you are not just a, a number, you are not just a, a mm-hmm. part of an average, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that is a, a powerful thing as well and it's one of the good ways in which you can sell the use of things like machine learning in the organization. Uh, the the second point that I really want to go into uh, to really uh, st- uh, st- uh, drive behavioral change is that. People always choose the path of least resistance with everything. Mm-hmm. So we always look at organizations that are trying to, say, move uh, customers from uh, interacting with them via uh, uh, call centers or email inquiries or whatsoever into self-service platforms like your, your apps and, uh, and so forth. Um, the fact of the matter is that the only thing that is going to change Laszlo's behavior and how Laszlo interacts with your products and services is that you'll always, uh, uh, at the point of need, choose the uh, the option and the path that is of least resistance to mm-hmm. him at that point in time, because he doesn't sit and analyze and go to your website and say, because strategy at med scheme is for is to that that is hoping that I use the app and not call him. No, it's of no interest to you. If at that mm-hmm. point in time, calling me seems to be the most convenient, mm-hmm. easiest thing to do to get your issue resolved, you will call me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how do we... Uh, create this experience that uh, makes data the path of least resistance for a business user. So if I'm a business uh, head uh, and I need to make a decision, how do uh, I look at VCOSI and what is uh, enabling me with and saying, actually, uh, for my decision, the easiest path for me to make a reliable, consistent, trusted, uh, decision that I can sleep uh, with uh, peace and confidence that I've made the right decision. We still refer to courses insights and courses dashboard or courses uh, analytics output instead mm-hmm. of asking maybe the guy down the corridor or instead of uh, taking uh, 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 Guesswork at it, or, or instead of trusting my own intuition or my gut feel, I'm not saying there's no room for that because I always call those things tested and uh, tested uh, knowledge that sometimes with experience they have their place uh, as part mm-hmm. of the knowledge management ecosystem. But I think fundamentally is to say how do we position data as data leaders and data professionals amongst our colleagues to mm-hmm. make it look like uh using data to make your decision is actually the path of least resistance is the Mm. easiest and most convenient way for you to make uh, the most correct decision most of the Mm
0: times no this is great also you mentioned this is this is another thing that just came up over the years that i i see that people just miss this whole idea about the data experience right as you said that you want to create an experience and again an experience kind of presupposes a human agent in this because machines and systems and strategies uh, and solutions cannot experience anything, right? A human being can. Yes. So, so, so this is also you forcing on yourself a human perspective all the time. Like how do I, how do I create an experience for the individual that I'm targeting? Now, uh, just a, a quick thing because trust, 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 it always comes up. Um, have you seen Pulp Fiction, the movie, uh, Pulp Fiction? We're still in the same. We're still in the same podcast. But, but have you seen *Pulp Fiction*? No, he, he,
1: no I, I haven't. Unfortunately.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll okay. make sure to watch it after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it. It's a classic. It's a classic. You got it. You got it. Uh, anyways, in the, so in that movie, there is that scene where uh, basically they get into a really difficult situation. The the protagonists, right? Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta. So they get into this really tough situation, and they don't see a way out right and they are like like, time is ticking and uh the consequences are huge huge risk right i can't really go into the details of the of the predicament because of the nature of it people who saw it know why uh, because you know we want to keep this conversation professional but anyways when they are in that situation they just call call someone called the wolf right and they just call the wolf and the wolf shows up and a slick suit and he just tells them what to do. And there is a, a scene there where John Travolta, first, he just kind of challenges the authority of the wolf, right? But the wolf is very calmly, very efficiently, kind of manhandles him, right? And there's a happy ending because John Travolta gets in line. They solve the, solve the problem. They drink a coffee together and every, everyone is happy. Now, the wolf is a very interesting character. He is what I call an archetypal character, Right. So he is actually uh, the 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 personal uh, manifestation of something actually greater behind the wolf. The wolf is the trusted advisor. right? The wolf is the guy who people just rely on. And the fundamental, like the currency, the leadership currency in this case of the wolf is trust. Right. Because when they they are in a tough situation, just call the wolf right the, the wolf is the guy that they need to call and when he shows up because of the huge trust in his abilities and in who he is his track record and also that, that there's this pre-existing uh, uh, relationship right that even when it's being challenged by someone who doesn't know the wolf like john travolta right his frame just completely consumes everyone else's right and yeah. everyone's happy it works out for the better of everyone involved right the wolf is happy John Travolta is happy, everyone is, right? So I kind of see you guys having this wolf potential, okay? In terms of, you can become that individual, you can become that individual who people actually rely on, who people trust, who people, just because of purely the results that you bring to the table, and also the pre-existing relationship, human relationship that you have, you can, like things can become so easy for you, right? Instead of trying to pull people into data-drivenness, kicking and screaming, Right? And it's trying to enforce things. You could actually just have a different approach when things suddenly start to happen for you. People come to you. They, they're just going to start to flock around your leadership. And what I want to say from this is that if you, we love we love the 80 20. We always focus on the 80 yes. Like, <laughs> what is the 20% of things? Because you can do so many things. You can, do, you can do so many things, right? But we believe that you should just focus on the 20% that will give you 80% of the benefits. The Pareto law, you know, it's, it's, it's inseamed into the fabric, it's the, the fabric of the universe, of how it's made. Yeah, exactly. It's a method. Mathematics, biology, everywhere. And business, of course. Like as actually, especially in business, you can see that very naturally. Like in a company, you always have like 20% of your customer base in some sort of category that will be responsible for 80% of the revenue. That's right. Exactly. Now, with your approach as a data leader, we think that that that, that 20% is there. And when you focus on these things like experience, trust, right? Like outcomes and meaning. Then you can just, you should just focus on those things. Just focus on those things, and suddenly there will be this magical shift in terms of how people respond and how people change their behavior. So, this was me just telling you in a long winded way how important trust is in a yes. in a in a relationship. Now, <laughs> trust is the most fundamental uh, building block of relationships. If you want to find the most important factor in relationships in general, that you need to. Focus on trust, you know even trust. even if you think about sales, even if you think think about it goes deeper it goes it goes into people's decision making people are emotional decision maker no one ever in the history of humankind, not one person ever made a purely logical decision. It doesn't exist, right It's an emotionally driven process justified by logical uh, logical conclusions, right so you see the shoe on Amazon, you like the shape, you like the style, you vibe with the shoe, right? And then before you purchase it, you make sure that the materials are in place, that the design is cool, that you're getting a good deal because it's, you know, 15% off, right? But but that's not what drives your decision, you just- They're just supporting elements, yes. Exactly. The decision you wanted to make anyway. Exactly, exactly, because you want to make the decision. On an emotionally uh, uh, driven basis, you want to make that decision. And that's why, we think that this is a typic- typically a hot cognition thing, and this is relationship-based. So if you wanna actually change people's behavior, what you need, or actually the the, the the easiest and most fruitful thing you can focus on are relationships. And then in relationships, the most effective tool that you can just really emphasize is building trust, right? Okay. So it's that simple, it's like 80-20 on the 80-20 on the 80-20, and you just focus on trust. Question becomes, how do you build trust? How do you actually build trust in relationships? So once you know that, okay, cool, from all the things that I could do, I should actually just emphasize and focus on mainly building relationships because I trust that in the end, that's the best way. That's the that's the path of re- least resistance towards me getting results, right? And then you see that okay, if I want to build relationships, then the best thing for me to focus on is trust, because that's just the the the, the fundamental building block of relationships. So a pointed question to you, and I know that we're coming to the end of our conversation and I'm enjoying it yes. immensely. Uh, so how <laughs> nice. do you build trust? This, what is your best practice for building uh, relationships with trust-based rapport, which is the most durable and most resilient and most fruitful form of rapport that you can build with another human being? But like, what do you think yeah. about trust-based relationships as a data leader? Yeah. Thanks Leslie. Uh,
1: so uh, quite, a loaded question, to be honest. So I'll talk. Mm-hmm. And I'll try and say it in, 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 in on two levels. So I start at the principal level. I, I think it's a, it's the simple things that we we have all uh, grown up uh, knowing that we're taught when we're young. So you know, being able to to be humble. Uh, firstly, you know, and uh, just have the respect for your colleagues, um, and I think uh, uh, also the the, the the place for for voice and dignity to say some people have better answers than others, but everyone at least deserves to be heard, you know, mm-hmm. and and just how you manage that in the context of the business case prevailing to say everyone has been heard, everyone uh, has been respected, and we are approaching the conversation in a humble way, but. Uh, w- What are the things that we are establishing as principles and boundaries that we're using to guide us into uh, a decision making point? So uh, I, I think those things are, are basic and they extend beyond just the, 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 the data space, but in terms of how we engage with each other, underpinned by the organizational values, uh, whatever they may be for the organization that you work with and how they uh, kind of are uh, balanced to your own personal values and why you may have ended up in that organization anyway in the first place. So I, I, th- I think those things are fundamental at the principle level. But uh, I'm going to say something also very, uh, a bit radical here. Yeah, um, mm. uh, and uh, maybe most of my colleagues even butcher me for this, uh, if they do disagree, uh, is that um, you also build trust uh, by uh, never being wrong with your data. Mm. Hmm. A- and I'm sure like you're thinking, how on earth do you achieve that? So, I've got this saying to say, prediction can never be wrong. Mm. Uh, If you build your system uh, in a way where the feedback loops uh, supported by uh, uh, good information in a real time uh, way, then actually uh, uh, it's all about your agility and your speed of response. So, I will take a simple scenario where I'm predicting or forecasting sales volume Mm -hmm, in a a particular region of our operations. And uh, for me, the most fundamental thing is not to get people fixated at uh, scrutinizing my uh, data science or time series forecasting capability based on how accurate my forecast was. Then you know you are having an irrelevant, fruitless conversation. If you are starting to have that kind of a conversation, yes, we all endeavor to we endeavor to 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 be as accurate as possible, get our accuracy level quite high, false uh, positives, uh, and all those things that we measure in our in, in our machine learning models. But the whole fundamental is uh, being able to see it fast enough that the prediction is is, is wrong, and being mm-hmm. able to understand why and being able to intervene real time to uh, change the trajectory so it's about learning about the error in the learning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you get that right, then your prediction never is never wrong. Even the wrong prediction is as useful and as, as insightful because it helps you know how to act and uh, when and how to act. And uh, it's all about being building a management system that allows you to act very fast and be highly respons- uh, responsive and agile in, in in your interventions. And I think that's where you, you then need to take the rest of your business leaders on a journey with because this now becomes part of a bigger management system within the organization to say we have built a a robust system with good enough feedback loops and an agile enough uh, 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 system that is able to respond to any variations, any shocks, fast enough and self-correct, just like a missile guidance system, right? If you want mm-hmm. to think about it that way. So I'm saying that it is wrong, but you picked it up in five minutes and we intervened and we changed it to where we want it to be. So it's actually never really wrong. Actually the the error is helping us learn. You know, it's mm-hmm. about learning about the error in the learning. So so in that way and um, you are you, you are really reinforcing this uh, culture of continuous engagement with your with your stakeholders because they, these things will always be sort of wrong, but they will always be sort of right because then you build a system that allows you guys to have this uh, continuous feedback loops in real time. So you're engaging in real time and you're all really prescribing uh, mm-hmm. your thing. So that's what really for me prescri- prescriptive analytics end up be- being about uh, anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so so when you start getting into that, you, you, you you've got that consistent communication and engagement and feedback loops and naturally trust also flows from continuous communication the way you and i build trust is uh, we spend time together we talk all the time we get to know each Mm. other so those are the things that naturally flow from building your management system like that and actually Mm. you you find that trust even maturing more the more uh, inaccurate you are because that means the more conversations you are having, the more feedback you are having anyway. So you'd be mm-hmm. surprised as to what actually even reinforces that trust relationship at the end of the day, but yeah. uh, also using it to the greater benefit of the business and redirecting yourself back to the target that you've set anyway in the first place.
0: This is so cool. This is so cool because even with all these analytical projects and systems that you can set up. You can focus on so many different things, right? You can focus on the most flashy, most impressive thing, right? You can focus on the newest kind of solution. You can even be driven by maybe what others in the business kind of steer you towards by what they think they want, right? But as a data leader, if you're grounded in that, it's like, okay, ultimately my main interest is to build trust-based relationships, cool. So what kind of analytical approach Will actually facilitate that, and this is such right. a great insight from you that hey, never be wrong. <laughs> it's like well, thank you. That's a tall order, right? But <laughs> but but if, but if that's the idea that you're striving towards, you know that in the long run, or maybe even in the medium term, right, it will yeah. facilitate and fuel your trust based relationships, especially if you can leverage that, if you can leverage you being right all the time, which is kind of a communicational approach to make sure that, okay, we've been right all along. Now I can integrate that into how I communicate and demonstrate my value, but also the kind of experience that I'm creating for the user. It's fantastic stuff. This is really cool because I don't think anyone before kind of reverse engineered that idea of never be wrong you know, and use that to build healthier relationships. And this continuous engagement idea, it's kind of like, um, again, that's, that's an additional factor in it, that if you don't want to be wrong, then you need continuous engagement and continuous engagement anyways, is something that will just help you build better relationships. This is this is really cool. Can you give me maybe um, maybe an example of this? Uh, you know, whatever from whichever company you work for, or maybe even just a case example that you've seen, maybe even outside of your company, or maybe just a yeah, specific example of okay, we had the data and I needed to be responsive. I needed to. Uh, uh uh build something that was flexible and agile i needed that kind of continuous engagement with my target audience and this way i managed to uh, uh managed to be correct uh, can you give me can you give me an example like any kind of example for this in your uh, career
1: so, so so i mean i'll give uh, the current example you know so mm-hmm. um we're we part of the areas we support is our operations environment, our call environment, and I think the, it's a, one of the most real-time environment uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you'd ever experience because you know uh, the call is waiting and it needs to be answered. So how you get right your demand and supplies is it's critical for both the customer experience and the service mm-hmm. level uh, uh, commitments that you've made to to your clients and. Uh, And also making sure that you also staff appropriately from a cost-effectiveness or cost-efficiency point of view. So um, uh, on the fly, real time, how you are able to adjust your forecast as trends and build up or there's something that happens somewhere or something broke somewhere in the system uh, that is uh, creating an influx of volume or vice versa. It's, uh, it's, it's it's quite key how you step in to really stabilize that environment, right? And how you set up a, a chain of uh, uh, even automated communication and even human-supported uh, uh, interventions to really step in and. Uh, really orchestrate this in a nicely designed fashion, knowing that if this broke there and uh, there, this is the impact I can anticipate, this is what I need to do to fix it, and uh, mm-hmm. these are the people that are affected by decisions, so whenever this happens, it needs to uh, start kind of like uh, orchestrating all these sets of action to the different uh, uh, stakeholders and parties involved, and everyone clearly understand or knows what they need to do about it so that uh, uh, they, 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 they the the judgment uh, uh happens as quickly as possible you know and, and and for me it speaks to the fact that sometimes we live in uh in, in this wishful thinking where that things are not gonna break it's not an issue of if it's a it's an issue of when it's similar to cyber security it's an issue it has become an issue of when i mean uh, mm. uh, it's just it has become about how do you pick it up quickly and sometimes even before your customer picks it up and how you proactively uh, do that service recovery and really uh it's the italian mama mama story to say if you do uh, that service recovery very well you even end up um, in a better state with the uh, uh, with the customer than you would have if you even never messed up because you've just mm-hmm. done your service recovery uh, mm-hmm. so well uh, and uh, that yeah you, you know it's like uh, they say the best way to uh, never forget your your, your wife's birthday is to forget it once and trust me you never forget it again so it's, it's that kind yeah. of uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of a that kind of a thing to say you just end up in a completely different state without how cautious and how how you approach and. Mm-hmm. and uh, these kind of things going forward so so i think it's something we deal with on a on a, on a daily basis uh, even in our business and it's getting comfortable with that you know to say if you are not uh, encountering these things often enough and if you are also not trying certain things and failing enough then you're probably not being innovative enough and you're not moving the needle fast enough you are not really moving your organization forward you are not having robust enough engagements and probably also your customers are not engaged, and to your point, it means that you are just that literally uh, a big data guy that is sitting with a supercomputer somewhere in the corner checking out numbers and crazy stuff that no one knows or cares about or, or even read. So, yeah. so, so so, for me, I think, yeah, it's something that we, we deal with every day, even in my current role, and I've always dealt with uh, for, for the past Ten years of uh, ten plus years uh, in data, and I'm just glad that right now we've got the tools and the computing power yeah. to be able to to handle this uh, much better, much faster, with much confidence, and respond quicker in an agile way than we've ever been able to before.
0: Beautiful. Now, th- this was this was amazing, and uh, so many interesting insights. A lot of it, actually, like most of it, uh, just so closely corresponds to uh what we already found over these years that uh, in order to be a really successful and impactful data leader right you actually focus on the individual you focus on the person you focus on building trust you focus on humility it's so crazy that you even you mentioned without me uh you know trying to like lead you on to that that you just mentioned humility It comes up all the time that like if you think about uh, uh what what you hear on the conferences and, and what these big solution providers tell you, right? They're just so far off from that, from these basic human realities of trust, yes. humility, right? And you actually, if, when you go back to first principles, you just find that, yeah, this is where everything flows from, right? This is the yeah. source, the source. Now, a uh, uh, last question before I, I let you go, because... Um, is a really interesting uh, conversation for me personally, maybe not so directly tied to change in the organization, <laughs> sure. but because of this, something that just interests me more and more, maybe even just as a, uh, as a, as a, as a side project, and I think it will gain more and more uh, relevance as data becomes more and more prevalent, and uh, just people get used to working with data, is data ethics right? Because ethics themselves is a very human, yeah. c- this human-centered thing, right? It's like It yeah. focuses on the, the human consequences of something. And what do you think about this? What do you think about data ethics? Uh, do you have... Um, I know it's a big question. What you think about data ethics? But, but what, 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 where do you see this going in large organizations? Do you see any risks that come from Everything becoming more data driven. Uh, um, what kind of tendencies have you seen in this space, and what kind of maybe global trends do you see in the realm of data ethics? And that will this will be my, my last question. If you can, in a few minutes, just ex- express your view.
1: Thanks. Uh, I, um, I I think my view around this one. I mean, it's similar to. Um, uh, the, the data privacy uh, one uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly is that um, i think where most organisations have gotten it wrong uh, firstly is that uh, it is uh, most people have focused on it in, in the context of uh, not of of trying to not get in trouble with the regulator right is avoiding mm-hmm. the fine, is avoiding the whole media spectacle around the fact that you have been breached or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where everything starts going wrong because actually the question you're asking uh, is not different to the same question of trust. It's just that now it's a trust relationship between the organization and its customers and not so much uh, uh, colleagues uh, internally in terms of building the trust so that you get buy-in, but it's actually trust so that you get uh, the the, the buy-in even from your customers to say, how do we drive the right culture with uh, our employee base uh, supported by right processes and technology? So it goes back to the traditional people, process and technology uh, kind of a triangle uh, to ensure that people um, uh, understand that the issue of ethics is about the trust uh, and the kind of trust that we're trying to build with our, with our customers. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, the the best way to then achieve that is to say, if I was on the other side uh, and I was the customer or if this was my information, will I still hit the click send or not? I think it it starts there, you know, Mm -hmm. building those kind of, uh, uh, engraving those kind of uh, principles and those kind of uh, uh, attributes uh, as part of your DNA of building uh, an ethical uh, uh, data culture. Obviously, uh, people will be people, and I think uh, that's where then also the power of technology uh, 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 and, and cybersecurity start helping us to also uh, support these kind of things uh, technologically so that we we'll build that consistency in a scalable way that uh, will mm-hmm. reinforce that trust with the with the external audience uh, being our customer and even regulators to say uh, that the practices uh, that these organizations embark on. And, this is the processes, the people, and the technology support also something that is also equally ingrained in their mm-hmm. value system and what they are also preaching, and uh, uh, this consistency in how that is, uh, uh, is delivered. But uh, for, for the customer as well, I think what most customers want to to hear, yeah, I don't think, for example, this big debate about uh, people even consenting to their info, information, it, it comes out of fear and lack of trust to say, what are you going to do with my information? Actually, if we were doing a good enough job uh, to uh, uh, translate or explain to the customer that uh, the reason we are asking for this information is so that we can do one, two, three, uh, with a clear, demonstrated level of ROI back to you as a customer in one form of thing, then I think uh, most of this wouldn't be as much of a challenge as it is. But right now, we are focused in trying to justify that we're not going to do anything bad with the data. Instead of mm-hmm. saying, this is what we want to do to improve your experience and uh, how you engage with our products and services and we are transparent about how we go, on, we'll go about doing that, I think that will uh, completely place in a a, a different uh, position with how that trust also evolves at that level and feed into an ethical data culture in general. Mm
0: No, this is fantastic, and uh, I'm gonna just, just just let you in on a, on a on a secret desire of mine, which I think is just kind of emerged um, uh, during our couple of years working with you guys. Is that um, in general, this whole idea of data privacy and data ethics is obviously new, right? As you said, people will be people. So one of the things, even when you look at building relationships, is that accepting the realities of human nature. You know, you can you can uh, try to push back at this, but people will be people, as you said, right? So the the, the responsibility and the burden of of kind of imposing these ethical data frameworks and and, and responsibility and values and principles and boundaries is actually on the data guys, right? Who drive this. And And then in general, in the world, if you just look back at the past couple of decades, as data became more and more powerful, right? Because of how technology reaches now people and all the potential in how to, uh, uh, control even you know the the uh, individual how to influence people on a global scale right they just skyrocketed, and with great power comes great responsibility to uh, 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 kind of quote uncle ben from from spider man but 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 basically, what I see is that we were kind of expecting i think that oh. That the, will be this, this this kind of tension between the corporate data guys, right? And then obviously the regulators, and the regulators will be the, the the kind of champions of values and principles and all that. And I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening because first of all, it's way too they're way too slow. They're way too slow, right? In yes. general, and also at the end of the day, like, can anyone make the case today? That the, the governments in the world are the champions for protecting people's privacy and data is that the most laughable proposition ever. So I do see, and again, this is like a, a little bit of an ambition of mine, is that uh, if change will come from, you know, wherever, it will come from the corporate world. This is kind of the the, the unexpected champions of this will arise from large companies with people who are actually influential, right? Heads of data, chief data officers at big companies who actually have influence. So we actually, that's why, that's one of the reasons why we want to help you guys become more influential, build those relationships, and then use that voice to actually police the regulators themselves, kind of demand, demand data Man, and yes. demand data values, right? And this will be so unexpected, and I like these unexpected turns, so we want to do our best to facilitate that, right? So, um, now, yeah, uh, and, and
1: just jump in on that. And, and I think for me, it, um, it speaks to the, uh, the the fact that I think um, uh, you're right, uh, the, the private sector or the corporate is uh, much more efficient, and I think. Uh, uh, it, for me, it's a big question of how do we infuse the uh, the concept of sustainability, be it uh, mm-hmm. this data ethics, be it technologically, be it environmentally, into existing business models and start uh, reshaping our business models with all the mm-hmm. with with, uh, with the sustainability head on. Because Mm -hmm. I think, uh, actually, uh, if you if you think of of it from a business perspective, it 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 is also an issue of sustainability. If you are not ethical enough, it's just a matter of time, right, before it Mm -hmm. catches up. So mm-hmm. you you may be maximizing return and profits uh, in the short term, but you won't be sustainable. So I think if we started interrogating every business model against a set principle of uh, sustainability criteria, uh, be it from data ethics, environmental, and whatever we think is quite uh, critical for, our, for for our ecosystem or environment that we operate in, then mm-hmm. you. Are likely to have really the corporate move the needle much faster, much quicker, much more efficiently, uh, mm-hmm. and much more innovatively because we do need to be profitable, to be sustainable as well than the than the, the, the the governments and the regul uh, regulatory bodies are able to move us.
0: Exactly, and if, even if you think about the corporate world, and there has been this you know great push towards being more environmentally conscious and all that, it's kind of like the corporate world starts to carry its 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 weight. In this, you know, effort, and we just see this kind of data, data ethics uh, as something that's growing. It's kind of um, uh, just evades people's uh, attention, right? People don't really know. People don't really understand it, and yeah. we want to be the champions of this. So when when it comes to this kind of responsibility, um, this is definitely one of our goals to to. Uh, uh train these champions to become more influential and then use that voice because who else will going to do it? No, no one else is going to do it. Like you can wait That's for sad. the regulator. You can wait for the world governments even if they wanted to, even if they wanted to, they cannot because they Not. are big and slow. So it's up to you. So that, I think that's a great, great finishing note. I, I enjoyed the conversation immensely. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Vukosi, for your insights. Um, it's been great. I took a bunch of notes and uh, we'll be hope to see you back on the, uh, on the show uh, sometime in the future.
1: Definitely. Thanks for having me, a Great and uh, fascinating conversation. Yeah, we'd like to continue this conversation sometime in the future, definitely.
0: Likewise.